shining a beacon on the bazaar. Racing down here at the harbour of Kraken Cove, just looking out for Ben coming into land from the uh, from the ports. Let's have a look out in the binoculars. Oh, here he is! He's, coming, he's just coming down the headland now. Ahoy there, Benny! Oh, oh, he don't sound so good. It's getting closer now. I can see Robo Pete's in boat with him now. Oh, they're coming towards the harbour. Right. Throw us a line, Benny! Oh God. Oh, I've caught the line. Tie him on there. Pull up one side. Here we go. <laughs> Benny, give me your hand. Up you get. Oh. Oh, dear. How are you doing, that kid? You don't sound that clever. Oh, not your bloody jaw again. Right, well, well, we know one thing that'll kill this, don't we? Here we go. Jeez, I enjoyed that. <laughs> God, that woke me up. That oh. bloody jaw. I've got news about it anyway. Oh, anyway, let's, let's get these last boxes up on, on, on launch. Well, we Oof. will do. We'll have to. We'll get them up there now, you know. But, you know, welcome back to Kraken Cove, our kid. Oh, it's glad to be back. And let's give a big thank you to uh, uh, Robo Pete. He's been, we've done 50 trips in this fucking last week. Oh, three week, actually. Yeah. He's done us proud. Cheers, Robo, my old mucker. Yeah, cheers, Robo. <laughs> You say? what, Pete? Pete, what did he say, pal? <laughs> you. Well, anyway, do one, Pete. Cheers, pal. Yeah, go and piss off your old stinker. Yeah, <laughs> what a tra tramp of the sea. What a it is, it is. Old sea tramp. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> anyway. He's gone, anyway. He's, he's gone. gone. But anyway, I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. This is Kraken Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon on the bazaar. And what we're going to do now, we're going to get these boxes back up to the lighthouse, get things sorted out, get ourselves settled up there. I'm going to cast my light out at some strange and wonderful stories. Mm, and I've done a little bit of mini-casting out of the bathroom window again, our kid. Come on, let's get up and have a brew. Let's crack on. <laughs> Is that glass of brandy for you, our kid? Oh, lovely. Oh, it's half past ten this time, isn't it? We're getting earlier. <laughs> we're getting earlier and earlier. It's nice. But we've got the fire on, you see. I've closed the curtains a little bit, so we've got a bit of a, bit of a cosy evening atmosphere, haven't we? At this oh, it time. has, hasn't it? No, it's settled. Is that I need it, honestly. It's a bit glary out at sea today as well, you know what I mean? I just need a dim room, a nice calm yeah. dim room. Well, that's it, you Warm see, because it's a bit, bit chilly out on the seas, because it's, still, it's still, oh, yeah, still cold weather, isn't it? You know what I mean? It Some is. Turn, yeah, but, yeah. You know. especially halfway through that road. Jesus Christ, there's no land anyway. It just like, blows all over you. Yeah. Right up your trouser leg. <laughs> <laughs> blows all over <of> walnut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like a little kiwi. <laughs> so, so what's this? What's this uh, you've been doing a bit of casting now. I've been doing a little bit of casting. I think I thought there was something wrong with me. You know what I mean? I've been like say the last three weeks. I've been uh, me and Pete have been getting all the supplies in. You know what I mean for COVID. You know filling up from winter. Yeah. Uh, and Pete's got all weird about masks and that. He's thinking he's, he's knocking on a bit and he, he's got to set an example. Being president at Bearded Clam and all that sort of malarkey. So everybody yeah. on docks has to wear a mask. You know well, what I mean? That's good though. That's really good. It is. It's very good. You know what I mean? But I've been you know I, I don't wear them much because we're in this bubble on lighthouse. So I've been helping out doing all my stuff and I think bloody hell my jaw is killing me and I'm yeah. talking to some lads and that and I'm saying, everybody's like got together and I'm like wait up I've got an headache one had a, you know about three of us had really bad jaws uh, one were really dehydrated so yeah. I'm saying has anybody got a laptop on let's look into it let's do a bit of self-diagnosis uh, and you know lads on bloody docks man they only like TikTok don't they they <laughs> So we got onto TikTok and we found someone who was telling us about masks. And apparently, what I'm doing with my mask is when I've got it on, I jut my jaw out, you know, like some weird bulldog. And I yeah. don't know why I do it. He just like, because he's lifting boxes, I'm trying to breathe. And it's oh, saying that right. I'm, I, I push my jaw out, and basically, where your skull is and your jaw, it's two separate things in it your skull and your jaw. Well, yeah, and yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on top. Fuck off. But where they, <laughs> where they connect, right at top of your jaw, you know, right top end of it, yeah. there's two squidgy little bits there. This is a really long word, I can't even pronounce it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But because you're jutting it out and you're doing shallow breathing, you know, like you're doing like a, um, it's basically a panic mode instead of like breathing into your nose and out through your mouth yeah. you're doing short shallow breaths through oh. these grinded kind of teeth and eventually your jaw just says nah I'm either going to give you a massive headache or I'm going to give you this jaw ache but then we started doing it you know that's what we figured out we slapped didn't we that it gets my jaw straight oh wow. yeah, you get, yeah, you, yeah if you get your two like your two like index fingers and just rub them and grind them round for about 30 seconds do what? it about four times a day on your jaw itself you know where that funny little bit where your jaw yeah. meets your skull yeah if you massage that totally takes the pain away but that's wow. my top so, tin. Anybody out there who's wearing a mask and got a really bad jaw ache, just try that, and it really, really works. So, and, and the other thing that it must be like dehydration is because people aren't taking the masks off to drink as much as they normally. Exactly, would. you're concentrating on that side of things, and it's your shallow breathing. You know, you you know, instead of breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, you're doing these short panty kind of motions, and it gets you more mm, thirsty. Panty motions. Oh, <laughs> panties! <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. No, that's my little bit of casting I thought I'd share it because uh, I quite enjoy the slaps now but really I should be just <laughs> massaging the uh... <laughs> it wakes me up you know what I mean I'm not hung over for long after one of them wallops you've got hands like dinner plates <laughs> well there's a little top tip thanks for that bit Hi. of casting Benny I'm always there for your Benny needs <laughs> <laughs> First ship out of harbour today is one that I know you're going to like. This is a little cast that I've just got specially for you. Ooh, a little cheeky for Benny. Yeah, here we go a now. So it's like I said, we've got a bit of coziness, which is just right for it as well. So this is six skeletons found in a wreck off the 18th century pirate ship 
sunk off Cape Cod. <laughs> oh, he's got it all. He's got it all. He's got it all. We're just missing the fog, are Oh, mate. <laughs> is there something in the fog? My God, proper pirate skeletons. Yeah. Oh, so this super, is the, the ship. good. Yeah, the, this is a ship called the Wider. Which, I, which is spelled weirdly. It's not like wider, like, so like gaping or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's W H Y D A H, right? Wow. Is it so a famous this, one? I, I've not heard of it before, but I believe it is because there's a whole museum around it. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it's quite well sort of documented. So, this is by uh, Isis Davis Marks for the, for the SmithsonianMag.com, right? Right. And she says. Archaeologists in Cape Cod have recovered six skeletons from the ruins of the Wider, a British pirate ship that sank during a 1717 storm with 146 men and a trove of treasures on board. Wow. So, as CBS News reports, a team led by Barry Clifford, who discovered the wreck in 1984, found the remains inside huge concretions or rigid masses that form around underwater objects. Experts, like coral and coral well, and all that. Malarkey. Well, it, it, it's not really coral. This is actually, say, for example, it's more like things like it, it's almost like a form of rust. It's when oh. the when the salt water reacts. It's more of a chemical process than a natural growth. So concretions yeah. aren't living things. They are just sort of like a build of matter. That builds yeah. up over it. A load of crust. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it's like. That's basically what it is. It's uh, it is just like a load of crust, you know. So, pirate crust. <laughs> pirate crust is lovely stuff. <laughs> so experts at the Wider Pirate Museum in West Yarmouth, Massachusetts, now plan to examine the skeletons in further detail. We hope that modern, cutting-edge technology will help us identify these pirates and reunite them with any descendants that could be out there. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is what Clifford says in a statement. So, according to Marie Sanislow uh, of the Boston Herald, the team unearthed one complete skeleton and portions of five other sets of remains. So, some of the bones have been broken, likely when the ship capsized, crushing its passengers. Whoa. This isn't the first time that archaeologists have recovered human remains from the wreck. In 2018, researchers from the museum compared DNA from one of wider Captain Samuel Black Sam Bellamy's descendants. <laughs> what a name! Yeah. You be, if you were born with a name like that, you're just like at school and like, uh, look, you just got to sit over there because you're a pirate. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to it. do this work. It's so cool, <laughs> isn't it? So, so they compared the descendants' uh, DNA to a leg bone found in the wreck. So, as Jason Savio reported for the Cape Cod Times that May, the analysis suggests that the FEMA's owner was a man with Eastern Mediterranean ties and not the fearsome captain in question. So, discovered embedded in the concretions, the anonymous pirate died with a pistol in his hand and metal, likely to be gold, stashed in his pockets. Oh, wow. <laughs> Pistol in hand and gold in the old skyrockets. That's wow. exactly it. So the archaeologists added, right, it appears that this person was killed by a 400-pound roll of lead that's encapsulated within the concretion. And you can see uh. that lead was right on top of this skeleton. 
Oh, Jesus. So ship were going down or something and it rolled on top of him or something? Yeah, that's exactly right. It'll, it'll have tipped violently and this massive and the massive slab of lead, because it'd be like a big lead roll, as in, and it, it just walloped him. So because the thing is, they've had lead on board for all sorts of stuff, because obviously you can, you can work lead just with a hammer. Yeah, you know? well, so they use it to fix it. Bit of fixing, maybe, or even they could have melted it down for ammunition. At these times, uh, the probably made their own sort of musket balls and stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty handy thing, is that? But you know, we all know lead, lead poisoning is a bit harsh. So this is a quicker way to get killed by lead, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Squished. But it's also likely to see that this metal is what's triggered the concretions as well. You know what uh, I mean? So it's like they're like yeah. kind of built up around it. So Clifford says, though this hapless individual turned out not to be Bellamy. The newly found skeletal remains may finally lead us to him. So they might have more clues about what happened to Bellamy himself, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, this is the only authenticated pirate wreck in the world, right? Wow! God, I thought this wasn't all being blown to bits eventually, hadn't they? Well, this is it, yeah, yeah. Well, they've been, you know, they've all met a sticky end one way or another, you know what I mean? Mm. Or oh, they'll have been sort of captured and decommissioned or even reused, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, uh, the wider boasts a storied history. As Christian Young wrote for the Cape Cod Times in 2018, the ship sank off the coast of Wellfleet during an April 26th, 1717 nor'easter, killing all but two of the 146 people on board. Oh, God, you never know about numbers either, do you? But 146 no. pirates. <laughs> but the bodies of 101 crew members eventually washed up on the beach. But another 43, including Bellamy, seemingly went down with the ship. So those 101 all jumped over the board, uh, overboard to sort of take the chances and just drowned, you know. Oh, I can wow. imagine being one of the only two to survive. I wonder if they were charged with anything, with piracy or, uh, or anything like that, you know. They strung them up, didn't they, I bet. Yeah, well, that, that, could, that could be a chance. It could be a chance. They might have might sort of, uh, been tried, but I might look into it, see what happened to them for later on. But anyway, the um, born in Western England around 1689, Bellamy was one of the wealthiest pirates of all time. Right, how much do you think he stole? So just just have a guess. What, in our money or their money or what? Um, in, in our money, say, yeah. Mm, right, well, it's in, it's in dollars, but it's in modern times. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna, pirates, golden ships, they're like the doubloons and all that, don't they? I'm going to say yeah. two mil. Right, okay. He stole an estimated $145 million. <gasps> oh, wow! <laughs> Before his death, aged 28. <laughs> <laughs> he was a busy lad, wasn't he? Wow. I know, that's, that's what's so amazing, right? Well, they are probably doing it when he were 10 or something, weren't they? You know what I mean? They started young in them days, didn't they? Wow. Yeah. 28. <laughs> 28, and he stole oh, 45 shit. million quid. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go to this museum so badly now, you know. Oh wow, yeah. Where is it in America then? Yeah. Off, well, if, in... Hey, do you want a little? Do you want a little look at your ship? Oh, there's please. a model of it. I've got a little picture of a model of it there at the bottom. Let me get my that. parchments open here. Yeah. Let me. Oh, it's a nice little ship, isn't it? You know. It's a also, they've, they've actually got the whole ship out of the water in, in the museum. No, no, they re reconstructed it. I think that's model. Uh, that? That's just a model because it's yeah, a bit, yeah. bit too bit too pristine. Oh, it's all crusty, <laughs> all crusty at bottom. Yeah. 
So for the, the Field Museum says that Bellamy's crew was made up of enslaved Africans, Native Americans, and sailors from across Europe and North America. And it was originally a British slave ship, but uh. the vessel was captured by Bellamy in early 1717. <laughs> so the New England Historical Society notes that the captain treated all crew members equally. Allowing, yeah, allowing them to vote on significant decisions. And Bellamy nicknamed himself the Robin Hood of the Sea, right? <laughs> and he viewed his piracy as a form of vigilante justice against wealthy merchants who robbed the poor under the cover of the law. To retaliate, he once declared in a speech, We plunder the rich under the protection of our own courage. God, that's it. What a hero. Absolute hero. Love him. So um, so they say here that the, uh, the this shipwreck is very sacred ground. We know a third of the crew was African in origin, and the fact that they robbed the wider, when it, which was a slave ship, presents them in a whole new line. Their benevolent captain, the legendary Samuel Black Sam Bellamy, and crew were experimenting in democracy long before the so-called civilised societies had considered such a thing. Wow, that's so romantic, isn't it? They're yeah. all the nations together and they're all voting. <laughs> and then well, they're going to go kick out our old rich merchants. Oh, wow. So they've recovered from the wreck so far. They've had 15,000 coins, weapons such as a £3.56 calibre pistol. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what? Didn't they add them that big fat thing? Yeah. So it's tools, shackles and gemstones. Wow. And according to the museum's website, it says... At the time of the wreck, the ship was carrying valuables from over 50 other ships captured by Bellamy's pirates. The wider collection, therefore, represents an unprecedented cultural cross-section of material from the 18th century. So there you go. We're starting off with a bit of piracy. What do you oh, think of that? Yeah, that is just an incredible story. I'll just look. Ever since I was a kid, I love pirates. You know, what I mean, even more than cowboys. And I like my cowboys. You, know? <laughs> you are a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a funny one though. Uh, which English comedian, a leg, a leg end comedian, went on Mastermind, and his um, his topic were pirates, and he were fucking. He knew everything. He was just so good. I think he actually won that celebrity Mastermind oh. edition. You know, I happen to know this. It's, it's Vic Reeves. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. That's such a cute thing to study, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> just really the pirates. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, I think it's good, you know. But well, like I say, they were they were heroes of a sort. You know, they were yeah. the, the the governments didn't like them. They were they feared and hated them. Well, they sent them out as well, didn't they? Is it old Drake? Wasn't he a pirate? And the, that were working for Queen. Well, that's true, is that? I mean, they, they were basically all but named. They were pirates, these. They were, they were known as privateers at the time. Yeah. And um, But, like I said, they, they were just, just absolutely ruthless pirates going over there, sort of nicking the uh, Spanish the Spanish uh, gold galleons, weren't they, and oh, stuff like that, oh, you know? It's crazy. You know, but I can understand why, though. I mean, in a weird way, if you wanted to disrupt... It's, it's like now, if we wanted to disrupt our enemies' sort of, like, a, a supply of money or anything like that, say, for example, if... if there's another government who's causing loads of problems. The first thing we do is crack down. We have economic sanctions, don't we? Yeah, so, in a weird way, if you're at war with something, some of the best way to sort of like disrupt their their economy is to steal the gold ships, isn't it? Yeah, true. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you've got to remember as well, where was that gold coming from? 
South America, and they were tea yeah. leafing it off the South Americans, weren't they? The, uh, it's just like, the circle's complete in it, really, nicking it back. Yeah, nicking yeah. it back. That's what. The only way it'd have been better is if we take it back down to South America and give it back to the Incans and stuff. But, yeah, you know, yeah. They were we were gonna... last week. They were all killing each other on pyramids. I tell yeah. you what, though. <laughs> Do you know what a pirate's favourite letter is? Go on. Go on, give it a guess. I know it. Go on, it's R. <laughs> no, it ain't. It ain't oh. R. It's the C. Right, so we've got a nice little follow-up piece now, you know? Um, the thing is, you see, like with pirates and all that sort of malarkey, you know, they're used to sort of like cannons going off and all this sort of stuff. But where else do cannons go off? But at gender reveal parties! <laughs> <laughs> like last week's one? Was it last week or week before? It was last week, it was last week we did it, yeah. Alright, so, so... we got a follow-up on that dude. Um, well, that oh, dead no. dude. Oh no, we've got a new one. We've got a new one. Give so, up. BBC News. Gender reveal device explosion kills father to be. Right. <gasps> Another. Another one. <laughs> so, Chris, Christopher what? Peckney was assembling the device. Right. Um, it was like it's like it's like a little mini cannon sort of like a device. So he's assembling this device in the town of Liberty when it exploded just before noon on Sunday. So police said the blast killed Mr. Peckney and injured his brother, Michael Peckney, 27, who was taken to hospital. So gender reveal parties and celebrations announcing whether expecting parents are going to have a boy or a girl. So the police have not specified what device caused Sunday's explosion. But New York State Police Department, its bomb disposal unit, are investigating the incident. They're saying it's some kind of pipe or something, right? They don't know what it is. It's basically, yet again, they made a pipe bomb by accident. <laughs> by accident? Yeah. <laughs> like gunpowder, pipe. Think about it, lads. Wow. Yeah. This is it. So they're saying now that there's actually, you know, the, but this, what they're adding here is the death is the latest in a string of catastrophes to be linked to gender reveal parties in recent years. So God, this is kicking dog. off all over the place now, right? So we had it last week, wasn't it, where we had a mini cannon blew yeah. up and killed a guy. <laughs> so we've got this guy now making his silly little bloody mini cannon thing as well that's blown up and killed him and injured his brother, you know. So I've, I've done a little bit of diving into more gender reveal aggro, right? God, <laughs> man, I can't believe this is a subject. This is insane. Go on. So this story is from a little bit earlier, so it's referring to on Saturday, but I don't actually have the date for this one. But yeah. on Saturday, a woman died at a gender reveal party um, because a piece of shrapnel from a homemade explosive struck Pamela Crymeyer, 56, in the head and killed her instantly. Was she the mother then, or what? No, no, no. It, I no. think she's just like um, um, just somebody who was there, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. So the, what oh, they've done is... The members of the Crimea family had experimented with different kinds of explosive material, the Marion County Sheriff's Office said, and they built a contraption to release pink or blue powder, revealing the baby's uh, the gender of the new baby, which they aimed to film for social media. So that's the crux of these things, yeah. yeah absolutely, you know? in it. 
So, but instead, the device exploded like a pipe bomb, sending pieces of metal into the air that hit Ms. Crymeyer, who was standing 45 feet away. Oh, ow, what a dice. Hey, that's longer yeah. than five. Oh my Some god. Some pieces of debris flew more than 100 yards, right? Ugh. So last year, um, this is in a different case, uh, last year a man shot a target so it would explode with either pink or blue powder, but sparked a 47,000 acre wildfire in Arizona <laughs> that raged for a week. <laughs> 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 the rage. Imagine it. You know, you're like three days later. You open your curtains, like, oh shit, it's still burning. No. So how about this? For this, for, I mean, this guy. I just need to know more about this guy who did this one, right? A, a video of a man in Louisiana feeding his pet alligator a watermelon filled with blue jelly provoked concerns over the animal's welfare and its owner's safety. And I, I, did, I didn't manage to get a photo of this, but this bloke is basically stood about maybe a foot away from the alligator's mouth, putting uh. a massive watermelon in its gob, which of course it bit and just blue, blue <laughs> jelly just went everywhere. <laughs> what is the point of that? Yeah. And in, in Australia, a so-called burnout, where a car emits blue or pink smoke, went disastrously wrong when the vehicle burst into flames. Right? <laughs> do any of these go right? You know what I, mean? I, I don't think they do. <laughs> so even the woman who was credited with inventing gender reveal parties, Jenna Carvonidis, uh, she's spoken of her mixed feelings towards the phenomena. And she was supposed to have started it right in 2008 um, by baked a cake with pink icing on the inside to reveal she was having a baby girl. So, of course, then she can cut into the cake, open yeah. the cake, look, I'm having a baby girl. That's actually that's quite nice in a way, that yeah, one, because yeah. it's just, just a bit just of cake. Just simple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no one died in the process. It's nothing exploding or alligators. Yeah, yeah, just a little cup of tea. There you go. But the issue that we have here, though, is that baby girl, who's now 10 years old, wears suits and short haircuts. She has changed her gender, so this is the issue now. Where the, uh, the this uh, Miss Calvinitis, right? And she's actually saying now, you know, who she says, who cares what gender the baby is? Assigning yeah. focus on gender at birth leaves out so much of their potential and talents that have nothing to do with what's between their legs. That's and a very that's a, good point. Is that it, you know? Is this kind of yeah, it's so uh, topical at the moment. Is that just like, just does it matter what we are? Just crack on, you know what I mean? It, yeah. That's very good. But just going back to her though, why is she wearing suits or he, she wearing suits at 10 year old? You know what I mean? That's well, like, yeah, like, yeah, well, that's quite good. Like, suits, little, little it's like Boss Baby, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, do, I, do, I want photos of that now, don't you? But yeah, I do. I it's he, suits. Oh, I'm going to call her he. Or they are there. Should we go, go down the they are there route? I'm, I'm, I'm very fantastic. confused with all this. I honestly, don't. Everybody do what you want. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. But yeah. I, I, bet, I bet they look great in the little suit. Just wondering now, with a short haircut, lovely little suit. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah so. I think it's really cool. You know. So the, although they're particularly popular in the US, these parties, the growing trend in the UK now as well, with reports, um, uh, there's an online retailer called Party Delights, and they've reported an 87% increase in gender reveal related products. So it is all sales, that's all it is really. Yeah, it's just, yeah. know, it's all just comes down to sales, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're using like really hideously sort of like um, sort of stereotyped sort of things. So they're sort of saying like people are having special 
you know, pink princesses and they're like blue cowboys and all that sort of malarkey. Oh but it, it shouldn't really matter. I mean, aside from sort of like having the psychological problems of really laying on thick the importance of being one sex or the other, you know, which yeah. is totally outmoded now. I mean, because they're, yeah. they're saying in some places in Europe what people are doing is um, because like smoke grenades and fireworks have been used so much at these gender reveal parties. That protesters sort of saying that it doesn't matter whether you're one or the other are actually using red flares, you know, like the red, the actual yeah. sort of smoke guns and smoke yeah, bombs yeah. and stuff like that to sort of like at protests. Now I'm not even I'm not even happy about that because it, it, yeah. all that's <laughs> happening here now is we're just getting more and more sort of firearms, explosives, smoke, yeah. and aggro. Let's all just calm down. It is aggressive, in it, and it's perverse. And at the end of it, you just think, "There's a little baby there, you know, yeah. <laughs> an ickle baby." It's ickle almost, baby. It's so far removed from an ickle baby, in it. Well, it's, again, it's people just wanting the ten- to turn the attention on themselves for a start. Yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. They want the attention, and they want to do the old social media side of things. That's oh. what they want. So they want a big flare up for the literally a big flare up for, for social media on the TikToks oh, and the yeah, Instagrams yeah. and stuff like that. Get all the attention on Facebook. And I think no, you should just be you know save your money as well. Oh, you could have a save baby. your soul, save your goddamn soul, you <laughs> losers. You know what I mean? It makes me want to vomit when it's all this Facebook <laughs> shit. <laughs> It does, yeah. Calm your passions. Yeah. So when it comes to what we're, I think what we're saying here is, when it comes to babies, that's celebration enough, isn't it? Just celebrate yeah. your baby and stop all this bollocks before somebody gets Go change your nappy. Yeah. Give it a good burping. Sing to it. Love it. You know what I mean? Fucking about in a field of the cannon. Sweet. <laughs> Jesus. The only the only colour reveal that really just happened between the kids' legs is brown, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And a little bit of yellow. <laughs> well, sticking with brown stuff for a bit more now. You know? <laughs> We've got a little story here from BBC News, right? And this is Alaska woman attacked by bear while using the toilet. Oh no! That's that's like my she, she most vulnerable, isn't it? I hate yeah. all. Oh no! I don't, I'm always <laughs> on shitter. I'm always on shitter. So it's like, I am. Um, <laughs> you start thinking about rats screwing up pipes and biting your butt. You know what I mean? But a bear. Oh, oh no! Nightmare. Absolutely. Your nightmare. pants down. I know. <laughs> Just absolutely gutting. You know, it'd be mm. awful. Let's have a little look at the story. So a woman in Alaska says she jumped up and screamed after she was attacked by a bear whilst using the toilet. Shannon Stevens sustained a puncture wound while she was using a remote outhouse toilet at Chilkat Lake last weekend. So after hearing her scream, Miss Stevens' brother went to see what caused the injury, only to find a bear's head in the hole of the toilet. Oh, <laughs> chow down. Dirty bear. Dirty bear. <laughs> so Miss Stevens says the wound was caused by either a bite or a swipe from the animal's claw. She was spending the weekend in a yurt with her brother Eric and his girlfriend. Awkward. When the incident mm-hmm. occurred, <laughs> earlier in the evening they'd cooked sausages on an open fire pit. I got out there and sat down on the toilet, and immediately something bit me on the butt as I sat down. Right. Where? Where were they? In the toilet? The, 
She screamed for her brother who came with a head torch <laughs> to help and as she pointed him to the toilet, Eric saw right there in the toilet seat was a cinnamon coloured bear's face. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, like the bears in a scatter something. Oh, so basically, this bear's been in the shit pit, hasn't it? Right, ferret yeah. around like a greedy, horrible thing. And suddenly, this woman's asshole's just appeared above it. And she's. <laughs> he's bit her on the arse. <laughs> oh, oh, mate, though, that's giving me a new weird phobia. Because I've always thought, you know, a little bit in the back of my mind about a rat screwing up. You don't imagine a bear, do you? A fucking bear? That's it. <laughs> And these have said here, so the next morning they found they noticed bear prints by the fire pit in the outhouse, right? Well, no shit, Sherlock. You've already mm. seen the bear in the bloody... Man, you're saying bears do shit in the woods, don't they? But it's like, you know... It's, <laughs> I thought we were the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing. Cause it's, it, I feel when they said uh, she might be the only person this has ever happened to. I wouldn't be surprised over the years if some other folks have had bizarre things, but... During February, to sit down on the toilet and have something like that happen is very unusual. So they're saying now they've got to have like a look before you sit policy. Now I've got a look before you sit policy all the time with Lavi. I mean, I just go, I don't just barge in and park my ass. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, if, I, if, if I were over there, I'd be fucking do, letting off a shotgun down the toilet before I climbed on. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> like, imagine backsplash sure. though. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the room. Yeah. Oh, and you go, I'm happy now. You sit down with your newspaper, quite happy. <laughs> no, that's it. You go, that's the one thing now. Big takeaway from this you know, next time you're going for a dump, take a good look down the lavy pan because there might be a bear down there. You just God, got to be, cap it. Can't be too careful, can you? <laughs> I tell you what, he's lucky though, brother, isn't he? Imagine if he sat down, he wouldn't get bit on your bum. He's just gonna swipe your knackers off, isn't he? Then <laughs> dangling down. He's just gonna you be able to resist though, would you? Have you saw that oh, lot coming? No. Yeah. Oh, flop. Oh god. Oh, can you imagine? I wonder if they managed to sort of crimp off a big curly whirly onto the bear's head before it went mad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he ate it straight down. Oh just no, up. man. No. <laughs> oh, oh, you know how I feel about this. I feel really gippy now. <laughs> <laughs> do, do bears eat shit in the woods? That's what it is, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> and we're in for the springtime when we take the road once more for the planting and the purling and the berry fields of blur. We'll meet up with our kinfolk from all the world around when the gang of folk take the road and yellows on the broom. When yellow's on the broom, when yellow's on the broom, and I'll get you on the road again. When yellow's on the broom. Well, we're not leaving the woods just yet, our kid. We're staying in woods. Aye. So this is a this is a story I picked up on. It's from the Express and Star newspaper by Dana Farrington, and it's, it says in pictures, Cannock Chase Woods turned into horror set. As baby dolls tied to trees. Right, so you have a little look at your pictures there. Right, let me zoom. That's a, a peek. Oh! Oh, God, that's one. Oh, eyeless one. Yeah. Nice. So the toy babies oh. have been attached to trees in wooded air in a wooded area near to the Brindley Village car park in Hednesford, right? And a Ouija yeah. board was also located on the floor nearby. And it's not known where the dolls have come from, 
or why they have been left making the area look like the set of a horror film. And the dolls are located near to the site of what was the Ministry of Pensions Hospital after the First World War until the mid-1920s. So, I mean, what I'm going to do, I'm going to post these up on social media, uh, these pictures, so you can have a little look at those. So you can have a little look at those uh, on my Twitter, which is at Crack and Cove, or you can look at them on Instagram at Crack and Cove Pod. And if you type Crack and Cove into uh, Facebook, you can find us there as well. The pictures will be there. So they'll be all over the place. So what, what do you think of those pictures now, Arkin? Oh, what do you think they're really, really disturbing. So they're all like different sorts of dolls. Someone got their eyes missing, looking like a little old lady. Yeah. Once, oh, the snow covering them and like crusty blood on them and stuff like that. That is really nasty. It's just you bleak, get, in it? You know what I mean? Something about woods, though, isn't there? When they're walking around and you just start finding something weird, you're like, oh, it's a horrible place I, to be. I, I found a few things like that in the woods before and you just sort of think, oh, I no, am, I'm yeah, not, happy, not happy about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like ung up animals and stuff like that I found yeah. before. It was just like, what's going on? Let's get out of here. <laughs> well, the, the issue they've got here is right, they've obviously sort of like fastened these dolls up to create uh, like, a spooky sort of scenario or whatever, you know, a feeling of spookiness. And then they've used, obviously they use this Ouija board because it's like burnt candles by it and all sorts of mm. things. Uh, and I think they're messing with fire in a way that they're probably, those people that don't realise, whoever's done this, mm. they are meddling with something much worse than they could possibly think, right? Because did you know anything, have you heard of Canic Chase before? Of what, sorry? Canuck Chase. That's where this is. This is all set. This is where all, all this right. happened. Right? No, never heard of it, pal. Well, Canuck Chase is somewhere that's been on my map for absolutely ages. It's one of those places Ooh. that's. It's what's known. It's an area of high strangeness. Is Canuck oh, Chase? Wow. Right. Now, the main one that I know Canuck Chase for is it's uh, an area where black-eyed children have been sighted. Right. Now, do you know the phenomenon of black-eyed children? I've we've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never gone deep dive into it. I've just heard the sightings of it. It suddenly sprang up like Slenderman-ish times, didn't it? Or a bit a year or two afterwards, like a new phenomenon, one of the shadow people and all that. Yeah. Well, we've actually got a story here from uh, Mike Lockley of Birmingham Live, right? And mm-hmm. black-eyed child returns to haunt Canuck Chase. So a leading paranormal investigator has scoured Staffordshire beauty spot following chilling sightings of a spectre known locally as a black-eyed child. Lee Brickley launched an in-depth investigation of Canuck Chase after reports that the ghoulish apparition has returned to the sprawling Heathland. The child was last spotted 30 years ago, sparking worldwide interest and is today a cult internet sensation. But latest descriptions of the girl, who has coal-black pits for eye sockets, are identical to those chronicled in the early 1980s. So, um, Lee, was at this, he was author of a book about the paranormal, was stunned recently when he received a new eyewitness account of the black-eyed child. So, alerted by what sounded like screams, a shocked woman came across the wandering, sightless spectre while walking Birch's Valley. We instantly started running towards the noise, she said. We couldn't find the child anywhere and so stopped to catch our breath. And that's when I turned around and saw a girl stood behind me. (laughs) No No more than ten years old with her hands over her eyes. It was as if she was waiting for a birthday cake. I asked if she was okay and if she had been the one screaming. 
and she put her arms down by her side and opened her eyes. And that's when I saw they were completely black. No iris, no white, nothing. And I jumped back and grabbed my daughter and when I looked again the child was gone. It was so strange. So... So the, uh, this is the earlier sighting, which took place in 1982, right? So in the summer of 1982, my aunt was 18 years old, and she and her friends would often meet at Cannock Chase in the evening time, probably in much the same way many teenagers will do today. So one evening, just before dark, she heard a little girl frantically shouting for help. Rushing to locate the sound, she stumbled upon a dirt track and caught sight of the girl, about six years old, running in the opposite direction. And when my aunt caught up with her, the girl turned around and looked her in the eyes, and then ran off into the dark woodland. Her eyes had been completely black with no trace of white. And there was a police search, but to no avail. And at the time, no one had any reason to believe anything paranormal was going on. And the girl certainly appeared to be of flesh and blood. So what do you think of that? Oh, it's terrifying, mate. I swear to God, I prefer to get beaten up by Freddy Krueger, you know what I mean? At least you've got a, a weird chance. That's like some yeah. haunting. That'll take your soul, will that? Yeah. What is that about? Like, so, and 30 years ago, I thought this was quite a new phenomenon, this. I didn't know it was 30 years old, you know, one of the first sightings of black-eyed children. No, well, well the early, earlier sightings were actually... Um, uh, I can remember one of the early sightings in America... Uh, I haven't got the details with me here now. This is just sort of like a memory of it. Uh, yeah. And it was when you had to, I think you had to sort of like, you know, like phone contracts. If you had a mobile phone, like an actual car phone. Oh, yeah. I think you had to like go down to a particular place and like renew like a license sort of thing. I think it was something like that anyway, if I remember rightly. I might be wrong. And this guy uh, had actually pulled up to sort of do this, whatever transaction you had to do. And he was just messing about in his car at night. And there was a kid starting sort of tapping on his window saying hey mister you know we, we need a lift you know we need to get home and we need a lift mm. and he was thinking oh shit these kids are out late this is this is really sort of this isn't great you know and he was like a little boy of about eight and his, his sister looked about five and they looked sort of like you know but just lost and forlorn kind of thing yeah. and he was about to sort of do something get out of the car ask him a few questions when he noticed their eyes were completely black and he suddenly had this sort of sinister feeling this absolute terror just went through him and he realised this wasn't right. And when these kids noticed that he'd kind of were onto them, yeah. they got really aggressive. And yeah. they were sort of like bashing on the window, sort of like, let us in, just just let us in, stop, no, let us in, let us in. And he didn't, he didn't even get out, he just peeled it out of there, just floored it and got away. Oh, man. And I tell you what it reminds me, we read it when we were youngins, um, were it The Changeling or something? You know, it like that was. Story of, where, yeah. What book was that in? That were horrible. With eggshells and that. And you look round and the little brother or sister out of pram had been swapped, hadn't it? Yeah. I, 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 I were only thinking of that book recently. It's incredibly sinister. I don't think it was Nicholas Fisk. Um, but, uh, it scared the pants out of me, did yeah. I? We're only proper young when we read that. Oh, one second then. Well, I've actually I've actually done a bit of a research into that and, and I can't find... The, any any sort of sign of that book. I'll, I'll have a bit of a deeper dive later on and see if I can find yeah. out the author because it, basically what it was, it was I think it was a, a, a young sort of like a teenager or something had, had pushed his baby uh, baby sister in the pram down to like the sweet shop or something. And when we were kids, he, he was quite all right to leave like a pram with a baby in it outside a shop. 
you just did yeah. that, you know. And when they've come back out, the baby wasn't right. It was just this weird goblin child was there being swapped yeah. out. And he was absolutely, or the, the, he or she, whoever it was, was in the shop. Was, they were frightened to go home then, thinking, oh my God, I haven't got the same yeah. baby. It was a terrifying story. Oh, they were awful. Um, and if anybody out there does know what it is, you can get in touch with us at crackandcovepodcast at gmail. You can send us a little uh, uh, email about that if you would, if you know the answer. That'd be grand. But the um, thing is there, you see, it's, uh, it is a little bit like that. It's almost like these children aren't quite right at the black-eyed children. It's sort of like these odd creatures from beyond. And um, But apparently what it is they really want to do, they want to get in your house. That's the thing they want more and more. Oh, you see it? Yeah, they want to get in your house. They're knocking on the door, people's doors. That's the main thing they're doing. And they're knocking on people's doors and going, can I come in, please? Oh, I need to make a phone call. Oh, oh we're hungry. Oh, we're a bit lost. Or, uh, uh. Them, or the really popular one is, um, we're waiting for our parents to pick us up. Can you? Um, can, can we come in and wait? And the, these like kids turning up on all over the place. So, like it's, sometimes it'd be like sort of like two in the morning they'll turn up, or like eleven at night, and it's like minus five outside, and they're in bare feet in a t-shirt, oh, man. and they're like that. But there was a case of one couple who did let them in. I'm about to ask, was there anybody let them in? Oh God, yeah. what happened? Uh, and what happened was uh, the the they're like an elderly couple, and they're just looking out for a couple of kids. And when they got them in the house, the kids just kind of stood there and stared at them in a sinister kind of way. Uh, and then one of the kids kind of broke off and was trying to do something in the house, and they were sort of they got a bad feeling. And then they were sort of thinking, "Oh, hang about now, don't don't be don't be messing about." Yeah. Uh, and suddenly the older guy, the older gentleman, he started to fall ill, and he basically oh. I think he started to hemorrhage. He was starting to sort of bleed from his nose or something, and he collapsed. Oh. And then suddenly the woman started to feel ill as well, and they were frightened of these kids and thinking, "What we're going to do? What we're going to do here?" And then suddenly they both got together again, the kids, and says, right, well, our parents are here for us now. Uh, we're leaving. Bye. The, the, uh, there was no sign of anything outside. They hadn't seen anything, nothing. The kids walked out, and she rushed to look out after them, and, and they disappeared. Uh, and she ended up suffering a prolonged illness, did the woman, and the old man died. <laughs> oh, shit. But it Is was that like, what they're there it was, for, then? It's, like, but they're almost, it's almost as if they're emitting a radiation. It's almost like the, the it's almost uh-huh. cancerous is this sort of re- the results of what's happened. It's like you know they start to start to hemorrhage, start to feel really ill, they start to get tumours and things. They, they seem quite confused as well, do the kids? Don't they? Like you know they got in their house and they didn't really do all. Did this no. at Mecca Mill? You know what I mean? It's like and then when it's, it's really weird, isn't it? Very though? strange. Yeah. It's, well, I think we're going to have to do a deep dive into into black eyed children. That's what that's yeah. the thing we're going to have to do. It'd be quite a good one that. But for now, we'll let's stick with the uh, with Canuck Chase and its other oddnesses yeah. and high weirdness. And um, I got I found an article here for Ranker by Hugh Landman, and they're saying there's convincing evidence werewolves have been terrorising a small village in England for decades. <laughs> right. Yeah. So of all the places where there have been werewolf sightings, central England seems like a strange place for there to be a hotbed of paranormal activity. And yet it just may be. Specifically, the werewolves of Canuck Chase have been frightening the bejesus out of locals for over 30 years. There have been dozens of werewolf sightings there, both day and night. And in fact, paranormal experts believe that there is proof of werewolves in the woods of the Midland region. So it isn't just werewolves that are stalking the trees and cemeteries of Canuck Chase. The area seems to be some kind of portal to the bizarre and a magnet for the unexplained. 
And in addition to the Cannock Chase werewolf rumours, there are reports of UFOs and ghostly children. So, the, first of all, this sort of um, let's have a look at the werewolf side of things, right? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. So, these it's an area that's well known for its distinctive red Tamworth pigs that are grown there. You know, I mean, that's like the Staffordshire their their breed of pig. You know. Yeah. And uh, but another far more notorious creature is the werewolf, right? And. Um, they don't know why it's appearing here all the time, but they think the reason why this first started was from 1975. Uh, according to local legend, uh, everything started in 1975, and that's when a 17-year-old boy in central England in the mid-70s took his Ouija board to test its powers. So it's, yet again, Ouija board, down these woods, right? And he said he would trade the devil his soul for the power to turn himself into a werewolf. And shortly after, a friend said he received a phone call from the teen, but could only hear odd guttural noises from him. And the same young man was found dead soon after, and he'd killed himself using a silver knife. So there you go. So that's a bit of a weird one, you know what I mean? But, Same area, Ouija boards, Jesus. But most of the sightings of the werewolves have been sort of in the uh, around the weir, around the cemetery that's there. You know what I mean? So it's a bit of a weird one around there. But it's the the cemetery in Cannock Chase is a resting place for thousands of German and Austrian soldiers who fought in World War One and Two. Which I don't know what they're doing there in Cannock Chase. You know like what I mean? A POW camp, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it well, is. Why are they all dead though? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So they've been appearing around there, which is a little bit odd, you know. But um, but the thing, the kind of counties, the werewolves, they've maybe sort of somewhat evolved because there's so many of them or whatever, you know, they think they might have evolved. <laughs> so they're saying um, werewolves and the night go together like Dracula and blood. After all, legend has it, a werewolf transitions from man to wolf when the moon is full. However, the Cannock County monster seems to be an exception to this rule. And in 2007, a postman reported to a local ghost hunting club that he had seen the creature. Stranger still, it happened while he was delivering the post. And the letter carrier said that at first he thought nothing of the creature, believing it to be a dog. But he was surprised when the animal stood up on its hind legs and ran away into the woods like a person. And this was in the daylight. <laughs> so what they're thinking is they're thinking the werewolf may be the result of sick experiments and he wow. may not be the only one so according to urban myth after World War II the government of England and the United States conducted experiments on humans similar to the ones the Nazis were undertaken and one such experiment was crossbreeding cross a human with a pig oh man but this now is the Cannock Chase Pigman is seen just as much as the werewolves or the black-eyed children. And this this is a beast that's meant to be seven feet tall, with the head of a pig, including a giant snout. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seven foot bar. But they're thinking here, there's, there's footage that's been caught by people, there's actually film footage out there of the uh, werewolves being seen, numerous uh, sightings of the pigman, there's uh, UFO activities going on here, this is a pair, like I say, an area of extreme high strangeness, very odd. I think what we need, as soon as lockdown's over and done with our kid, I think me and you need to pack up as tents and get down to Cannock Chase. Mate, what do you think? I'll be well up for that, I'm well up for it. Yeah. Uh, just going back to it though, if you think they've been doing experiments, maybe that's why all Germans are in the graveyard. They're not, you know, they're bringing them in for the experiments there. Maybe so. 
Oh, that'd be a horrible thought, wouldn't it? Oh. Were, on a little bit of an offshoot, and it's one of Benny's weird things I've seen on TV, but it was like an English-made film, um, and it was about people sneaking into this hospital to see what they were doing, and this young kid finally got into the hospital, you know, after like three quarters of the movie, and they were, he saw this like young lad sweating in bed with covers up to his chin, yeah. and shivering, and that is this kid. And the other kid like pulls the cover slowly back, and he's just got this massive sow body. You know what I mean? This massive oh. people laid out. With it. Oh mate, it scared me as a kid. I ain't got a clue what that is either. But God, it sounds so familiar with like breeding, you know, experiment with pigs and people. Crikey. My God, you. What, what were we letting you, you get older when you were a little kid? You got bloody changeling <laughs> books and bloody pig-bodied sweaty <laughs> kids. It's just... This is what medders, mate. This is what medders down this dark path. I think it's too much sweets and fizzy pop, kid. That's what I think was for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this now when you've been on the piss, you're just as bad. <laughs> <laughs> the lovely piss. With gold and great store, I never will play the wild rover no more. And it's no, nay, never. No, nay, never, no more. Will I play the wild rover? No, never, no more. So I, I think what we need now, I think we need a bit of a palate cleanser, our kid, because you know all that stuff's quite dark, isn't it? You know, I have my head spinny. It's all spinny yeah. and dark. <laughs> so, like, what we need is a little bit of culture, I think. You know. Um, oh and, yes. Yeah, so this is something that's kind of come across my path, which I found really quite impressive. Um, because I, I like a bit of unusual music, something that's a bit different for the old ears, you know? I like a bit of, I'm like a big fan of the old Brian Eno and a lot of electronic oh, like yeah. that, you know, all sorts of stuff. But here's another band that you might or might not have heard of. That, that I, think, I think they're absolutely quality myself. And this is a band called the, the Eccentronic Research Council. And, um, <laughs> that so, sounds cool. I've not heard of them, but that yeah. sounds really cool. Well, they've got a new uh, new project that's coming out. Uh, and this has been uh, written by Patrick Clark for the uh, online magazine The Quietus, which I think always sounds lovely. Does that? I've read a few, I read a few things on The Quietus. It's a very interesting uh, little site, so it's worth having a check out. Get yourself across there. Have a bit of a read. But these, uh, the, this is the Eccentronic Research Council um, detail the Dreamcatcher Tapes sequel. The project of Sheffield-based musicians Adrian Flanagan and Dean Honer have shared details of a sequel to their 2015 release, The Dreamcatcher Tapes. Now, the first release was uh, birthed to mark the 50th anniversary of the BBC broadcast of Delia Derbyshire and Barry Bermanges' Inventions for Radio, The Dreams. And it's a collection of spliced and reassembled interviews with people describing their dreams to which Derbyshire applied music. And in tribute, the Eccentronic Research Council released their own album soundtracking the recalled dreams of friends, artists, actors, musicians, scientists, poets and filmmakers. Now, how good does this sound? You know what I mean? That sounds super cool. I love that sort of stuff. It's so random. Never heard. Don't like it. You know, lyrics are cool, but that more sublime, subliminal. You know, yeah. off so many different creative people. That's, yeah, it. that's the thing. That's well. That's what I like. I like the broad scope of people that gone from. You know, from scientists to poets to filmmakers. It's just. It's just going to be great. And even actually, just talking to friends. Yeah. 
so you know like you say so there's a lot of people you're going to have a, a, an interesting point of view and an angle on the world and I think I, I, I just cannot wait for this I mean I haven't had a chance to listen to the first one the 2015 Dreamcatcher tapes but I have heard other work by, um, uh, by the Eccentralic Research Council and if you want to know what kind of music it is he's very much in the vein of uh, Delia Derbyshire and that kind of almost early pioneering electronic music of the sort of 60s and 70s oh, where the, you know where the there's a, yeah where you get that weird oscillator sort of sound you know what I mean yeah, yeah. and if you don't know the music of Delia Derbyshire she uh, she was well most famous work she did was really for Doctor Who and she was work she worked on the BBC Radiophonic Workshop that was her sort of like main sort of like I've heard of her Big Dave knows her you know what I mean he's got a oh, lot yeah. of her stuff yeah yeah he's a, she's a fascinating lady isn't she yeah, and she yeah. looks super cool at some of the albums cover she's on she's just like this like scientific um when she's just working solo wasn't she she was doing so much on well, her she, own she did a lot on her own which i found amazing like it's totally pioneering um, but she yeah. did some great collaborations as well um, did, she? Brilliant. Did, did you know she did the soundtrack to the music uh, the, the movie the legend of hell house <gasps> Give up! Wow! Because that's one of my favourites. I love the haunting, the black and white one, but they did a good retelling at Taylor with the, the Legend of Hell House. But yeah, yeah it's very noise um, kind of um, induced, isn't it? You know what yeah, I mean? like you say, oscillations and weird sort of warped sounds, speeded up, slowed down, all that kind of thing. Oh, obviously, sweet. you can do it digitally now, that sort of thing, but uh, um, I'd yeah. love to know whether the Eccentronic Research Council are doing it sort of in an analogue kind of way or whether they're doing it on computers. I, I, I'm going to have to find this out because I find it extremely interesting. Yeah. So, uh, during lockdown, Flanagan and Hona once again put out a call to musicians, nurses, teachers, writers and more to record their dreams into their phones for the Dreamcatcher Tapes Volume 2. And you can watch a, yeah, and you can watch a video for Maxine's Dream, featuring the regular ERC collaborator Maxine Peak. Right, so there's a link on the thing, so you can go to the Quietus, look up this, uh, look up this piece, yeah. and there's a, there's a link to the video there. Oh, that I need to see it. Yeah, well, I think you'd be able to sort of like tap into it on maybe YouTube as well. I'm sure it'll be there. Yeah, so yeah. just look up, you know, the ERC uh, and look up Maxine's dream. Right. Wow. So, spe so speaking about the video, Peak said, "I don't get out of bed for less than twenty quid. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> I d luckily I don't after my most challenging role to date." All my own stunts. I'm very proud of my intricate and thoughtful work on this, and I'm waiting for my call from the Academy. Enjoy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, cool. I'm a big fan of Maxine Peake. I think she's a bit, she's um, I think she's one of the most talented actors and writers that we've got kind of got going on really. And she's a great advocate for the North, which is even yeah, better. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just think anyone, you know, you, you hear a Northern accent here and there, and you just think, oh, you don't hear it often. But when you do, you just think, yeah, it's one of us, you know. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. And she's been a lot. She's been in a lot of different movies as Maxine Peake. Um, a lot of TV. I mean, she was. I think she started on Dinner Ladies. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. First time I noticed her. Yeah. Yeah, and then she's been the uh, main part in a thing called Silk, which is like a, 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 a legal, like a legal drama, and that sounded really good. I've not had a chance to catch that one. Um, but she's been Inside Number Nine. She was in. Um, oh, all right. Yeah. One of Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, which I think is one of the best sorts TV shows that's ever been. Made, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, and sh there was sh I mean, she really shot to sort of fame in Shameless as Veronica yeah. in Shameless, and some of the footage of that is just so funny, <laughs> it's it really good, you know. say what it's yeah. Shameless. And she played, you know, she played uh, Myra Hindley in See No Evil. Oh, right. you sure I missed that? Yeah, oh, yeah, God, yeah. So that's, well, that's worth looking up, you know, absolutely brilliant. But one of the things Definitely. I personally like uh, Maxine Peake for 
is uh, she wrote a, a stage play about Beryl Burton, who's like well, one of Britain's greatest cyclists, man or woman, it doesn't matter what. I mean, she was just absolutely amazing. And um, I've, I have met Beryl Burton's daughter actually, but she she came, they came from Morley, and she was just <laughs> yeah. yeah, she came from came from Morley did Beryl Burton. And she used to be like, well, she was basically a time trialist, but she's absolutely tough as nails. Yeah, uh, Commonwealth uh, gold medal winning multiple times and that. <laughs> but she used to sort of like, uh, but she sort of like, she used to race against sort of like some of the best male cyclists. And one of them was a guy called Mike McNamara, and he was one of the best cyclists at that time during it on a t- on twelve-hour time trials. Yeah. And he was he was he was doing a cracking time. He was on the way to sort of like win when all of a sudden Beryl Burton came past him, right? <laughs> <laughs> and just gave him a look and he looked so devastated, right, that she offered him a licorice also. <laughs> 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 oh, I love stuff like that. Yeah, that is so, it. So oh, Maxine Peake has written a, a stage play for this, and I think she's a, she, again she's a great advocate for sort of northern talent, and yeah. uh, in all its forms there, from be it sport, writing, music, or anything. So the uh, the two instalments of the Dreamcatcher tapes have been compiled into both a bespoke thirty-seven track double cassette box. Oh. That sounds juicy, does he? And a 26-track double-coloured vinyl release. Oh, oh man, this will be yeah. a big day again, actually, with this. He'll be yeah, definitely all over the vinyl. You know. So collaborators across the two releases include filmmaker Carol Morley, uh, Andy Vocal from Finders Keepers Records, uh, The Quietus' own uh, John Doran, and there's the writers Benjamin Myers and Adele Stripe, who were, who were friends of mine, actually. And, um, and musicians including audiobooks, Evangeline Ling, and a fat white family's Lias Saudi. And the Orioles, um, Sydney Hand Halford. So there's a few tricky names to kick out there, you know, some of them yeah, tripping yeah. over, you know. But um, if you don't know um, uh, Benjamin Myers and, and Adele Stripe, uh, they're excellent nor- northern writers, really, really great. Um, uh, Adele Stripe is a black teeth and a brilliant smile. It's a biography. Uh, of the uh, playwright Andrea Dunbar, who was from Bradford, um, and she was—I think was it Buttershaw? I think she was from the Buttershaw estate, and she wrote um, Rita Sue and Bob too. <laughs> right? right yeah, yeah, yeah. She was literally from just like the worst kind of council estate as it was back then. Uh, she was kind of given a, a chance to do a bit of writing. She she grabbed it with both hands and she did this amazing sort of film and, and play Rita Sue and Bob too you know God he's so funny so, yeah. so that's that's Adele Stripe has written that so that's called Black Teeth and a Brilliant Smile and I highly recommend it uh, yeah, and yeah. Ben Myers he's written just so many excellent books uh, The Gallows Pole The Offing um, Turning Blue he's, oh, he's, he's, he's an absolute superb writer so check those guys out as well if you will you know yeah. But what they're saying more about the uh, Dreamcatcher tapes there for the Eccentronic uh, Research Council is the saying, uh, I was really interested to see how the enforced lockdown and the removal of people's basic needs, such as human contact and hanging out in close proximity to other humans, was affecting the dreams of my friends, peers and those at the very front line of this horrible pandemic, says Flanagan of the new project. It was an interesting experiment. Nurses dreaming of inadequate PPE and having to use blow-up Elvis costumes to protect themselves. Hmm. Teachers dreaming of zombies and lots of people dreaming about sex. Where the hair of Greek sorceress Circe meets bouncy castle breasts. 
and where other dreamers dream of serial killers or seeing dead family members or taking baby elephants for walks or having discos for one in the middle of the ocean and, and so much more. I'm really proud of this record. It's psychedelic in its truest, most cerebral form. So, Castles in Space will release the Dreamcatcher Tapes Volumes 1 and 2 on March the 19th in 2021. So, I'm dying to listen to this. I am. It's just inspiring, is that? Because if you think... I remember that bit when the first lockdown happened and everybody's going to get in their head round it. Then you hear people talking, oh, are you having the dreams yet? Do you remember it? Yeah, you used yeah. to call it, are you having the dreams? I never really got them, to be honest with you. Oh, um, I did. I, I did got you? Because I think yeah, yeah. people sleeping more, you're under such stress from it all. But it always reminds me of Call of Cthulhu, you know, about Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. This is with Cthulhu stirring at the beginning of it and the, all the different weird old cults are kind of stirring him up and knowing it's coming. All the sensitive people, the artists and the painters and the, the poets and all that were suddenly struck by these weird, vivid dreams, you know what I mean, about the time. Yeah. It just really reminds me of this sort of thing. It's just, oh, it sounds excellent, so topical and... It's such a bizarre, beautiful thing to get into. I love it. Well, this is the thing I really like as well, is tapping into more than just sort of like... Again, the NHS has just done such an amazing job. Uh, yeah, the doctors yeah. and nurses and everything. But I think it's sometimes easy to just focus on on what they're doing uh, and I've got to realise that there's other work going on too. And I think creative work is actually just as important in some weird way keeping oh, yes. us all going, you know, because our minds are sort of atrophying, the top turning to stone, and the only thing that can help them in a weird way is the dreams bursting out and creating sort of their own little images and worlds. Yeah, you've got to so feed bored. your mind, you've got to feed your yeah. mind like the Dormouse said, dude. Yeah, well, well he... <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, it's some lyrics, Jefferson Aeroplane, man. Oh, I love it, yeah. I'm a hippie at heart. Is, is, is that White Rabbit? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, which again, that um, I've forgotten her name now. Joan, oh, I can't remember her name, the lead singer, but you can hear an isolated track of her singing that, and it's the most amazing, oh, oh, just amazing that. piece. Yeah, that's worth yeah. looking up. But, but no, when, when you're talking about we're still in lockdown now, we still need to feed, feed our heads and our spirits and our souls, and I think there's no better way of, of doing this than uh, trying to get hold of a couple of the Eccentronic Research Council's um, Dreamcatcher tapes, because I think they're going to really boost the the cerebral cortex. I think they're going to sort of feed, like I say, I think they're going to feed our brain or feed our head. You know? Yeah, man. Oh, I'm good. pulling stereo into our bath for yeah. that, mate. I swear to God, I need it in the bathroom. Lights off for that one. <laughs> yeah, and in the meantime, they're there on uh, online or, or wherever you want to go. go. Go get yourself, audio yourself a record uh, by the Eccentronic Research Council and go do look up all those other great artists' uh, back work as well. So, looking oh, forward absolutely. to it. I have to say thank you to them for doing something as magical as that. It sounds, you know, like... So inspiring, I can't wait for it. I literally yeah, can't wait for I that. Can't. Yeah, I know. I, I just gotta say well done to them. Well yeah. done guys. Yeah, looking forward to it. Right. Well, believe it or not. We're about at that time. No way, we're there already. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, we've all had a couple of brandies, or a couple of breakfast brandies, haven't we? Mm. <laughs> and, the, and the fire's now starting to crack a little bit lower there in the half. And it's about time for our afternoon nap, if you're right, you know what I mean? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we, we always like to finish on something uh, a little bit 
bit cosier in a way. I'm not sure yeah. this is, but I, I feel this could be a, this could be quite nice. Because it's a funny one. We've had quite long stories this week. You know, we haven't just been had little sort of short, sharp ones. We've had a few. We've had a few little dives, haven't we? Big, yeah, big, big juices. Big yeah. juices. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like. Matt's big juices. <laughs> big juicy wobblers. <laughs> So what we're going to do here now, I'm going to introduce you to Frank Lentini, the sideshow performer with three legs, 16 fingers, and two penises. <gasps> wow. Wow, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> never heard of someone with three legs, though. Like, Jake the Beggar, whatever he is. Yeah, absolutely weird. So would you like a little, little look at oh, it? Oh, let's have a look. Let's show me that photo. Can you see him? Whoa. Oh, they've... Blurred out his two cocks. Whoa! <laughs> that leg's coming out of his ass. It is. It is indeed. The, that leg is coming out of his ass. Oh, um, he looks so normal, though, doesn't he? He's got quite a physique to him, and then he's just got his leg. Well, that, that's the thing about Frank Lentini. This was sort of uh, that part of part of his thing, really. So this is by uh, this is by Lauren uh, Zimerich uh, or Zimerich, uh, and this is for allthatisinteresting.com, right? Yeah. Now, this is the vintage fascination with American freak shows has fortunately been left in the 19th century and early 20th centuries. Carnival goers marveled at the bizarre results of procreation in bearded ladies, strong men, sword swallowers, and little people like Tom Thumb. But how exactly these performers fared as the morbid fascination for paying customers is hard to understand, particularly when there is so little honest information on them. And such is the case with Francesco Frank Lentini, the so-called three-legged man who made a living off his rare condition of having been born with a parasitic twin. Oh, bless him. Yeah. He was born in May in 1889 in Sicily, Italy, as an, either an only child or the fifth child of 12, right? So they don't know he's an only child or the fifth child of 12, so, you know, a bit of a blurred background there, right? And he was born with three legs, four feet, 16 fingers, and two sets of genitals. His oh. extra legs sprouted from the side of his right hip, with a fourth foot protruding from his knee. His condition oh. was the result of a second embryo that had begun to develop in the womb, but ultimately could not separate from its twin. Thus, one twin came to dominate the other. So at four months old, Lentini was taken to a specialist about the possibility of amputating his additional leg. But the threat of paralysis or even death kept the doctor from carrying out the procedure. But if you think about that, you know, the, the taking him to a hospital for this procedure, this won't have even been 1890 yet. Oh man, you ain't got a chance, have you? No, that's it. But he became known as the Marvel. Right in the yeah, so and or even more cruelly though, as little monster around his Aww. hometown, and Lantini's family consequently sent him to live with an aunt to avoid further disgrace. Oh, bless! Yeah. So in 1898, at just nine years old, Lantini made the long and arduous journey to America, America, mm -hmm. where he met with a man named. Giuseppe Magnano in Boston, right? And he went there with his father, you know? Yeah. And uh, and Magnano was a professional showman who'd been in America for three years by the time he met with Lentini about potentially adding him to his shows. 
So it was just one year later, in 1899, that Francesco Franklentini was listed as one of the top acts in the world-famous Ringling Brothers Circus. So he was billed as the three-legged Sicilian, or the only three-legged football player in the world, right? <laughs> and even the greatest medical wonder of all time, right? And the one I prefer this, which is just simply called the Great Lentini. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. a good one, isn't it? Now, what's amazing here, right, is the young man performed such feats with his third leg as kicking a soccer ball, jumping over a rope, skating, and bicycling. So it was a fully usable leg. God. And, but in addition to his athleticism, Lentini was also quick-witted and funny. Known for giving interviews while using his extra limb as a stool to lean on. Right? <laughs> it does look like he could just lean back yeah. on it, yeah? yeah? Lentini would answer questions that range from the innocently curious to the explicit. Whether discussing his hobbies or the particulars of his sex life with an extra leg, the three-legged man was able to give hilarious answers to some rather intrusive inquiries. When asked, for instance, if it was difficult to buy shoes in a set of three, Lentini responded that he bought two pairs and gave the extra one to a one-legged friend. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he had a knack for charming self-deprecation, was known to joke that he was the only man who didn't need a chair because he could always rely on his third leg as a stool. And during his time travelling around the US, Lentini learned to speak English and was known for his poise, intelligence, and unabashed pride in his deformity. And he amassed great fame and fortune. Oh, that's great. Yeah. What could he do with his second cock? <laughs> <laughs> All sorts. All sorts, yeah. But, <laughs> but despite his unconventional career path, Lentini was able to use his charisma to woo a young actress named Teresa Murray. And the two were married in 1907 and went on to have four children. Josephine, oh. Natalie, Francesco Jr. and Giacomo. And while Lentini and Teresa did eventually separate in 1935, this would not stop the great Lentini from finding love again. And he would go on to spend the rest of his life with a woman named Helen Shoup. So, if you think about that, I, one thing I wonder is, is there a genetic difference between which of his todgers does the business? <laughs> yeah. God, I wonder if he were actually working as well. His, his leg were working, wasn't it? Well, I believe it was fully working with the old... <laughs> <laughs> the old John <laughs> Thomas? Yeah. Wow. So, can you imagine that? So I'll tell you what, though, what, I love that, you know, he's, he's took something where people could be, like, class it as a deformity, and he just, like, totally embraces it, Text yeah. piss back at him, he's got a line for everything, he uses intelligence, his strength, and he's a yeah. bloody ripped young bloke, isn't he there, you know what I mean? He looks a dude. Well, he's a good looking um, guy. I mean, there's nothing yeah, really? about him, but as yeah. you quite rightly say, he's taken what has been given to him and he's kind of run with the ball. And yeah. I think we're really we're, fast. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder he's got three legs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, this is what we all should take sort of like a bit of uh, a little bit of advice from Frank Lentini. He's, you know, people people might argue that he's been sort of, you know, sort of dealt a bad hand of cards sort of thing, but he hasn't. Mm. He's been he's what he's taken what he's sort of got and he's made it into a winner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lentini performed in sideshows with the Ringling Brothers Circus and in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Wow. Right. By the time he died of lung failure at 77 in 1966, he had not once stopped touring. 
So he just worked his entire life, right? <laughs> so in 2016, 50 years after his passing, Lentini's hometown of Rossellini in Sicily celebrated that unconventional hometown hero by way of a two-day memorial festival. Good. And the memorial invited any and all of Frank's descendants near and far. Now, while sideshows have fallen by the wayside as America's primary form of entertainment, the public's fascination and even romanticization of the era has never fully left the collective consciousness. Now, the film The Greatest Showman, remember that, came out in 2017? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Features a rotating cast of sideshow characters all based on real-life performers. And naturally... Francesco Frank Lentini made an appearance, played by the actor Jonathan Redavid. The success of Frank Lentini serves to remind us of just how amazing and fantastical the fully realised American dream can be. Viewing his parasitic twin as an asset rather than a hindrance is undoubtedly one of just many reasons that Francesco Frank Lentini found success and happiness in America. And he said in his later years, I've never complained. I think life is beautiful, and I enjoy living it. Oh, that's so good, man. Life is beautiful. Of course like it is, that, yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, we should be all be a little bit more like Frank Lentini. I think he's a guy who knows what he's about. He knows his onions, he knows his stuff. You know, and yeah. he's probably seen a hell of a lot more than we have. I mean, what? Yeah, look yeah. Buffalo Bills Wild West show. That went everywhere. That, it came to near the core back in the day, you know. That yeah, they saw it here. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely yeah. mad. It just toured everywhere and made an absolute mint. And I just think that's fair play. Is that great stuff? Yeah, yeah. So you know. So yeah, I think that's. I think it's time for us to now wrap things up. Yeah, with um, that inspiring story, our kid, it is. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, that, so that's what I mean. We could have seen that as a little bit of a sad story, but it wasn't because Frank didn't allow it to be a sad story. He made it a happy and inspirational one. You know. Yeah, man. Right, so it's time for our little nap, our kid. Yeah, so, I'll get tucked up on couch. Oh, no, I'll just get my feet up on a uh, little coffee table here and have a snoozing chair. Uh. <laughs> so, it's going to be a big goodbye from Matt. And it's a bigger goodbye from Benny. Take care, guys. See ya. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at crackandcoldpodcast at gmail.com on twitter at crackandcove or instagram at crackandcovepod ha ha